I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. So the last couple podcasts, I've been talking about this at Legions. And as I've only gotten up to G, I am not yet done. So today, I will continue with that task. Okay, so I think I left off at G, so we're going to pick up today with H. And my first card is Havoc Demon. So Havoc Demon is a demon for five black and black, so seven mana total. Um, for a 5-5 five, five demon, it has flying, and when it dies, all creatures get minus five, minus five. Um, so it's interesting. One of the, the trends we've started doing more recently is making our demon 6-6. Six, six. So this is pre, pre our 6-6 six, six demons. Um, so the idea basically is, here's a pretty scary demon. It's a 5-5 five, five flying demon. And if you happen to kill it, it kills all your creatures mostly. Um, and so it's pretty cool. Uh, I d- definitely think that we were beginning to experiment a little more with Death Triggers. I mean, obviously, Death Triggers has always been part of the game. Um, but this was something where the idea of, I have this thing, and either you deal with it, but if you get rid of it, then it causes problems unto itself. Um, and this is one of those cards where, like, um, some colors, like white and blue, have abilities to get rid of things without actually getting rid of them. And that was much, much better. You know, pacifying a Havoc Demon was much, much better than actually killing it. Okay, next, Hollow Spectre. 1 BB for a 2-2 Spectre. Uh, It is flying, and when it does combat damage to a player, um, they pay X. Uh, I'm sorry, you pay X, and that player has to reveal X um, cards in their hand. You pick one of the cards, and they have to get rid of it. Um, So, Spectres, uh, the very first Spectre was an Alpha, um, called Hypnotic Spectre, and Spectres... Not a lot of creatures. There is a few creatures in Magic that we've kind of tied one for one with a mechanic. Specters are one of those creatures. Specters always uh, hit your opponent and make them discard in some way. Um, uh, there are creatures that make you discard that aren't specters, but pretty much all our specters make you discard. Um, and so this one is one where you have some ability to influence it. Now, obviously, you have to pay at least one in order for them to at least show you a card. Um, but the fact that you can pay more mana and make them show you more cards means if you can pay equal to their hand size, it's a coercion specter if you can do that. Okay. Um, next, Imperial, Hel- Imperial Hellkite. Five red and a red for a 6-6 six, six dragon. The demons aren't 6-6, six, six, the dragon 6-6. Six, six. Uh, it's flying, and it has a morph cost of six red and red, so an eight morph cost. But when you unmorph it, when you morph it, turn it face up, you get a tutor for a dragon. So Imperial Hellkite went really well in a dragon deck because what you can do is um, you could play it as a dragon if you're able to, but if not, you can play it as a morph creature, and when you finally get a turn into a dragon, it gets a buddy to come with it. It gets another dragon. Um, and I remember, I remember I had a dragon deck in one deck that used this card just because uh, the ability to go get dragons uh, is, can be useful. Okay, next, Infernal Caretaker. So Infernal Caretaker is a three-black... So four mana for a two-two cleric. Uh, for you, you can morph it for three B, and if you do, you return all zombie cards in graveyard to their owner's hands. So um, basically, this card is like I said: the role of clerics in the set were all about doing nasty things. If they themselves, it's a two-two cleric. He's nothing special, you know. Even when you unmorph him, unmorphing him doesn't make him any bigger. He's still two-two. But getting back all your zombies is pretty good. Now note. This doesn't get, get back just your zombies. It get back all zombies. So, now, if you're playing a deck full of zombies, 
uh, unless you have a mirror match or something, odds are it's better for you to get back your zombies than your opponent. But it did get back your uh, opponent's zombies. Okay, next. Keeper of the Nine Gales. So it's a, a blue creature, two and a blue, three mana, for a one-two bird wizards. So flying, tap two untapped birds to boomerang, to uh, return a permanent to its owner's hand. Boomerang's a card from Legends. That's sometimes One of the things that we tend to do sometimes in R&D is when we're making cards, sometimes we'll shorthand. And a real common shorthand is you just write the name of the spell that's most famous for doing that thing. So bounce the permanent. Oh, first spell that did that was boomerang back in Legends. So a lot of times, like in my notes, uh, I'll just say boomerang. But uh, for those of you that might not have played Legends since it came out in 94, um, it was return target permanent to its owner's hand. Okay, does this card, is this card familiar? This card is us riffing off a famous magic card. And the famous magic card was called Tradewind Rider from Tempest. So Tradewind Rider allowed you to tap it and two creatures to return anything to your hand. This requires you to tap two birds. So the idea is um, Tradewind Rider was really, really strong. So we were making a slightly weaker Tradewind Rider. But the idea is in a bird deck, it's Tradewind Rider. Although you got to play a bird deck, so that, that's the limitation. <laughs> the bird decks were never particularly strong. Okay, next, Killmoth Dragon, 5RR, so 7 mana for 5-5 five, five Dragon, Amplify 3, which means when you play this dragon, for every dragon you reveal that's in your hand, you get 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. Then, tap to deal damage to target creature or player equal to the number of counters on it. So essentially, if you have just one dragon in your hand when you play Killmoth Dragon, it comes out as an 8-8 creature and can tap every turn to bolt something, do 3 damage to a creature or player. Now, if you happen to have two dragons in your hand, it is a 11-11 that taps to do 6 damage. So anyway, um, this is one of those cards that, like, in the right deck can, can end up being very powerful, but it is, like, like it's just a 5-5 dragon. So 7 mana for a 5-5 dragon nothing special. So you really, really want to have a dragon in your hand when you play this. You really need to use the Amplify, because the Amplify is what turns this into something really scary. Next, Croson Cloudscraper. Seven green, 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 so it's ten mana, three of which is green, for a 13, 13 Beast Mutant. Um, it has an upkeep cost of, uh, you have to pay green, green during its upkeep. Something we used to do a lot, that uh, started in Alpha, and we did for quite a while, and we sort of moved away from, is upkeep costs. So th- this creature says that each turn, if you don't pl- pay green-green, you have to sack it. Um, and there's a morph cost of seven green-green. Okay, so this card has a couple stories behind it. So the biggest is, when uh, Alpha first came out, Richard had made... Um, uh, there was Lord of the Pit, and there was Force of Nature. Uh, and Force of Nature was an 8-8, and Lord of the Pit was a 7-7. And so those were the biggest creatures in Magic. And then, in Antiquities, uh, they made a 9-9. Uh, what was it called? It was uh, Colossus. Uh, Colossus of Sardia. It was a 9-9. And then, along comes... Um, was it Ice Age? I think Ice Age had a 10-10. Oh, no, no. Ice Age had a 10-10. There was a 10-10. And then... Oh, maybe the 10-10 was in... What's that? Was the 10-10? 10-10 was in Le- Legends or Dark. And then Ice Age had an 11-11. We had never seen before an 11-11. Um, then when I... The first team that I... I mean, I'm, I worked on alliances, but the, the first team that I was sort of there for the whole time was Mirage. 
And during the Mirage, I really wanted to continue this game of one-upmanship. So I wanted to make a 12-12. And so Bill Rose, who was the lead designer and developer of that set, said to me, well, make an interesting 12-12, and then we'll talk. And so I came back with a one-mana 12-12 trampler uh, that required you to um, sacrifice uh, up to 12 power worth of creatures. It, uh, It was called Phyrexian Dreadnought. Bill liked it and went in. But anyway, so that was Mirage. That was a, a while ago. So there's a Mirage, then Tempest block, then Urza Saga block, then Mercadian Mass block, then Invasion block, then Odyssey block. So we're an onslaught, right? It's been a long time. So I I went to, um, I don't know, Bill or whoever was in charge and said, you know, we really haven't one-upped ourselves in a while. We, you know, we decided that we, we wanted to slow down the pace. But I'm like, occasionally we should be able to do it. And I go, I think it's time to make it 13-13. You know, and I said, you know, what better place to do it? Morph. Uh, and, and most of the design team was all on board on this. So we, we, we made this 13-13 monstrosity. So why does it have an upkeep of green-green? And the answer is reanimation. Because the 13-13 creature, the biggest creature we've ever made so far, really something you might want re- to uh, reanimate. And the problem with reanimation is, you know, this thing's expensive. But if you use reanimation, it's not so expensive. Um, so we made sure that if you stole it, you actually had to at least be playing green. Uh, and we figured if you're playing green, you can handle the, the green-green upkeep. If you're not, okay, sorry, sorry, black player. Um, you know, you necromantic black player. You cannot take my creature if you cannot pay for its upkeep. Okay, next. Lava Born Muse. Another one in the Muse cycle. Uh, so it was three and a red for a three-three spirit. Uh, during the upkeep of the opponent... It did three damage to them if they had two or less cards. Okay, so this Muse... So uh, there are a lot of cards in Onslaught that definitely were not cards of old. So this was a notch, another old card. Um, can you name the card? This was the Rack. So the Rack... There are two cards in um, Antiquities. The Rack and Black Vice. Um, the Rack did damage to you. did one damage for each card under three you had... Uh, so either it would do one damage if you had two cards, two damage if you had one card, or three damage if you had no cards. And Black Vice would do one damage for every card you had over four. So if you had five, it was one, six, it was two, seven, it was three. Um, and anyway, those cards, I mean, Black Vice ended up being a little more powerful, but both cards ended up being pretty good. Uh, a lot of discard decks used the rack. Anyway, we decided, uh, while looking for muses to do things, um, we thought that it might be a, a, a fine ability to stick in red. So we made a, a red rack. Um, and uh, Lava Muse was, was that card. Okay, Lowland Tracker. 4W for a 2-2 soldier with First Strike and Provoke. So the idea behind this card was 2-2, um, First Strike, Provoke is okay. It kills little things. But one of White's things is White has auras. You know, if you can somehow make this a little bit bigger, just a little bit bigger you can go to town because First Strike Provoke on a big creature is really powerful. Like I said previously, it's an abyss. The abyss being a Legends card that kills a creature every turn. Okay, next. Master of the Veil. So two blue-blue for two three wizards. It has morph to you. Put target morph creature face down. Um, So uh, this theme shows up in blue a little bit. The blue was a color that tended to manipulate morphs. Uh, and really, blue. If you wanted to get a morph back face down, blue was the color to do it. And there's a couple cards we'll talk about uh, today and 
next podcast where Blue is able to turn things face down. This is one of those cards. So the idea is I play a morph deck where I have a lot of morph reveals. Well, this card allows me to reuse a morph reveal because what I can do is I can take something I've already turned face up, turn it face down, and now I can use it again. And there are a bunch of morph creatures where the reveal is really the cost of the card. That when the card comes face up, it's, a, it's, it's you know, a tiny creature, sometimes smaller than Tutu. But really, the advantage was the spell you got out of it. And this allows you to reuse those. If you have enough mana, this even allows you to essentially turn this creature into that creature by, you know, you turn it face up, turn it face down, and then you get to turn that thing face up. There are a lot of fun shenanigans you got with Master of the Veil. Okay, Misform Sea Swift. 3-1 illusion, flying, and for one mana, it can turn into any creature type until end of turn. Um, Rules-wise, I believe the way this works is it doesn't overwrite the creature type. It merely becomes that in addition to. So this allows you to do um, fun tricks where if there's multiple things in play that care, I believe that you can turn this, like, let's say you care about having merfolk and you care about having elves. You can go, I'm a merfolk. I'm also an elf. Um, And then you count both as merfolk and as elves. And there's cards, I mean, there's combinations where it matters and there's individual cards where it can matter. Um, So I believe this card was, or a card very similar to it. Um, When I first looked through Onslaught, um, when Bill had asked me to look at the set and I was trying to figure out of things we could play up a little more, um, I think this is the card I saw that I, I said, oh, this card seems to be doing some fun things with Tribal, you know, I think the set probably could, could, could up the notch of its tribalness. And, and this was the actual card, and this was the mechanic, the misform mechanic, uh, is what really made me see, like, ooh, I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd wanted to do tribal, something I'd wanted, but I, when I saw that Mike was messing around with tribal, it's like, because the volume was, like, at one, and I'm like, well, let's crank that up to, like, eight or nine. Um, but anyway, that, this card was one of the cards that really inspired me to help... Uh, push the idea of doing of, of making tribal much more of a, a louder thing in the set. Next, Misform Ultimus. Three and a blue for a 3-3 three, three illusion legend. It has every creature type, and it, it, it can attack as if it were not a wall. Okay, so let me explain real quickly. At the time, there were two creature types that had rules baggage, which meant that having the creature type on your creature type line uh, actually gave you rules, it, it affected how you functioned. So one was Legend. Legend at the time was not a super type, but a creature type. So if you had Legend, it's like having Legendary now, which meant that you only could have one of these in play at a time. There was a point, actually, early on, where you were only allowed to have one Legend of each Legend in your deck, but that got, restri- got changed. Um, now remember, with the release of... Um, Oh, no, not until Champs of Kamigawa. Champs of Kamigawa, we'll change how Legend rules work for the first time, and then we change them again. Um, so Miz from Ultimus obviously was a very popular card. In fact, it inspired an entire mechanic. So in Lorwyn, there were creatures called Changelings. And what Changelings were, were basically the Miz from Ultimus. And uh, that the Miz, uh, Changeling meant you had every creature type. Um, and so... Um, Oh, did I explain? Did I jump? Oh, I didn't finish explaining. Sorry. Uh, there were two... I said there were two creature types that had uh, rules baggage. I didn't finish that. Uh, legend, were well, you're legendary. The other one was Wall. Up until sometime after this set, um, Walls meant that you automatically could not attack. You had Defender built in. And eventually what we decided was we disconnected Wall from having the rules baggage, created the Defender keyword... 
and then put def- everything with a wall had defender, so there was a one for one. If you had a wall, you had defender, but then we could put defender on things that weren't walls. This allowed us creatively, um, one of the big issues we've had with walls is creatively walls are not, they don't make a lot of sense as a, a sentient creature. Um, I mean, they're not really alive, and so anyway, I mean, there are living walls, as living wall being an example. Um, but anyway, for a while, the creative team uh, tried to kill walls, and so one of the ways to do that was to make defenders, so defenders on things other than walls. Uh, players loved walls too much, walls came back. Um, but the, the reason this has a line that says you can attack as if it were not a wall was originally, uh, the original idea, I made this card and I said it's every creature type. And then we realized that because it was a wall, it couldn't attack. And so Randy had made the suggestion, well, what if it's every creature type but a wall? And I said, no, that's lame. I go, just make it a wall and say it can attack anyway. And so that's what we did. It's funny, now um, it no longer has that, like in Oracle, it doesn't have that can attack if it's not a wall because walls no longer mean you have to be able to attack. So for a little bit of trivia, this is the one wall, I believe, in Magic that does not have Defender. I think that is true. Um, but anyway, it is a wall and it does not have Defender. Um, Another interesting thing about this is, uh, in Oracle, this does not technically have changeling. Um, I, I mean, it really does. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I guess they decided that, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it has changeling technically. But for all intents and purposes, it does. I mean, what it does is what changeling is. But I don't think we decided to give it changeling. I might be wrong. Someone can wrote it as, I changed Oracle, and it has changeling. Okay, next, Noxious Ghoul. So Noxious Ghoul was a 5-man, a 3-black-black, black, 3 3 zombie. Whenever it or any other zombie enters the battlefield, all non-zombies get minus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. Um, so one of the flavors, I mean, different zombies will do different things. Nowadays, zombies are a little more graveyard-centric, but uh, I think during Onslaught, we really were playing up the, the um, disease part of, of zombies. The idea is zombies are these rotting, you know rotting corpses that carry disease. And so whenever a zombie shows up, oh, they're spreading disease. And zombies can't catch disease. What do they care? But other creatures can. And so Noxious Ghoul is playing to the idea that it's kind of spreading, that all zombies are spreading disease and that that it makes them extra dangerous. Um, Next, Patron of the Will. It's green for a 1-1 elf with morph of 2 and a green to giant growth. Um, So this is a good example of a creature where... uh, you can play in turn one if you if you need it. And there's some decks where you're just trying to get elves in play. So sometimes you actually play them as a 1-1 elf, but that, that's kind of on having other things. Um, but the real fun of this guy is that he can turn into a giant growth. Although it's cool. It's, well, it's interesting in that when he uses a giant growth, he actually shrinks. Um, like, not only, like, he's a 2-2 creature. One of the neat things about Morph is uh, sometimes you want him to be a 2-2 creature and you don't care about his ability. Um... And sometimes you want the ability. You also can do this fun thing, by the way, where you attack with him if, there are, if you're trying to do some extra damage or you're trying to um, kill something. You attack with a 2-2, and then it has the ability to turn itself into a 4-4. Four, four. So it shrinks to a 1-1, one, one, but it's plus 3 plus 3. Now, it could also affect other things. But anyway, um, it's definitely uh, a very versatile card. Okay, next. Phage the Untouchable. Three black, 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 black. That's seven mana. Four of which is black. For a four-four minion legend, uh, 
when it comes into play, or as we say today, enters the battlefield, you will lose, you will lose the game if it was not cast from your hand. Now, it has two abilities beyond that. It has essentially Death Touch written out, but Death Touch didn't yet exist as a keyword. And, the most interesting one, when it deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. Okay, so this, this is one of my babies. So, I've been toying around with um, a Super Basilisk. Um, in fact, I think I made a card called Super Basilisk. And what Super Basilisk did was, it killed anything it touched, whether it was a creature or a player. Uh, and I was trying to figure out where to use this, and then I read about Phage. So, Phage was originally Jessica, which was um, um, uh, Kamal's sister. Kamal's the main character of both the Odyssey and the Onslaught story. By the way, we, we joke a lot about Jessica that uh, we thought it would be awesome in the Constant Turkey storyline if Narset, like pulls off a mask and, you know, it's called Jessica because she's Jessica. But anyway, that is not canon, so don't... Uh... Anyway, uh, so Phage was uh, Kamal's sister and uh, got changed by the Kamal Patriarch, I think. Um, changed the dark magic of the Kamal into Phage. And now her very touch kills. She's Phage, the untouchable. So, uh, I always figured that uh, she'd have trouble dating, you know, on the dating site. I'm Phage, uh, the untouchable. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> notice she's a minion. We don't support minion much anymore. Um, minions are, uh, well, we, we haven't gotten rid of the creature type, but we no longer use it. I'm not sure. Uh, there's some people that didn't like minions. I like minions. I would bring minion back, but uh, we, minion is supported in that there are still minions that exist in the game, but we currently don't make new minions. Um, why do you lose a game if it enters the battlefield in front of your hand? We were very, very worried about this being reanimated and doing shenanigans because there are a lot of shenanigans you can do with it. It's really, really powerful. Obviously, a hit you in your dad is super powerful. Um, oh, anyway, so I had a super basilisk. I'm, I'm just jumping around. See, one of the things about this podcast is you really, really get how my head works because this is how I think. This is really how my brain functions. I just bumping around. Well, I forgot something. And go back to it. Um, Anyway, I had the card Super Basilisk. I think it was really cool. I read about Phage. She was like Super Basilisk. So I said, I got it. Um, and so I put this on a card. Originally, I did not have the rider. And in playtesting, uh, there were just shenanigans that came up. And so we said, okay, well, what if... You know, we, were, we tried to come up with different, like, cutesy answers. And finally, we're like, oh, f- ah, whatever, fine. You can't play... You, you must play it from your hand. You lose. Um, now, the fact that you, if you play it from other places, you lose has been used by some clever players to do weird things. It also, by the way, I was once playing a game of um, online. It's called um, uh, Momervig. And I was playing... Actually, sorry, I wasn't playing online. I was playing a live version of it, uh, gunslinger, spellslinging at Worlds, and playing in somebody, playing a live version of Momervig. Somebody has a live version. I played it. In fact, I played it multiple times with them, I believe. Anyway, it was turn eight, and I had him dead to rights. Dead to rights. I was going to win the game. There's no way he could stop me. And for fun, I decided to see what creature I would get. And I got Phage and lost the game. Which really makes me wonder why Phage was there, since Phage does nothing but say, hey, do you want to be dumb and roll your eight? Uh, I didn't realize Phage was even an option, and I did, so... Um, I do like Phage a lot. I think Phage is pretty cool. Um, Akroma and Phage were the two most popular cards in the set. Interestingly, they were the two legends, so we did something right. Um, they would fight and make Corona the False God, but that's that's the next set. I have some words about Corona the False God when we get there in... Uh, what's the third set called? In Scourge. Okay, next! 
plated sliver. So plated, plated sliver was a uh, uh, one mana uh, for white, one white, one one sliver. All slivers get plus oh plus one. Now remember, the red version of this was two R two two. All slivers get um, plus one plus O. Where this is a one one for W. So uh, this one is a little cheaper because getting toughness is not quite as strong as getting power. But this is the other side. I said there was two sides. Next, primal whisperer. I'm not quite sure what that means. I must whisper primally. Anyway, four green for a two two elf soldier. Um, and it gets plus two, plus two for each other face-down card in play. And it has a morph cost of three and a green. Um, so I think blue and green were the two cards that... Um, well, blue, green, and red all had a little bit of shenanigans with, um, with uh, sort of interacting with morph is morph. Uh, here's an example of, of something that cares about face-down things. That says, oh, well, I want to play this in a deck of all morph, or mostly morph, um, because, you know, this guy can be very valuable while other things are face down. Also notice, once again, he's five mana to play face, face up, but he's only four mana to morph. Um, it's also interesting when you have multiples in play, whether you want to keep some morph or put some up. There's they're interesting math. Um, I've actually played a deck with multiple of these, and it, 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 was, it was very interesting. Next, Riptide Director. Um... So remember, the, rip tri- the, the Riptide Project was the people who brought back... Um, I guess they had found... So when Wrath... Wrath was its own separate plane, and then the invasion of uh, Dominaria in Invasion, they overlaid the plane of Wrath, so they, they made Wrath combine with uh, Dominaria. Um, when that happened, some of the slivers... There, so the slivers aren't from Wrath, but were brought to Wrath by Volrath, who was fascinated by them and wanted to study them... And he made the metallic sliver as something to study them, but it wasn't a real sliver. That's why it doesn't grant abilities. Anyway, um, so the Riptide Project were trying to clone the slivers. It went horribly bad. But anyway, here's the director. Uh, two blue-blue for two three wizards. Uh, for two blue-blue and tap, draw a card for each wizard you control. So it's very, very interesting, by the way, that the templating we now use, which only counts your stuff, shows up in Onslaught only when developmentally we need it for control purposes. Which is, oh, well, if this drew a card for every wizard, even your opponent control, it'd be too good. Oh, we better make it you control. So anyway, it's funny that the, the earliest use of you control is not a means to make it easier for players or make them play it more intuitively. It's for power level reasons. Very interesting. Um, anyway, in the story, I think the Riptide director was not particularly smart. But in the game, he draws lots of cards, so... Okay, Riptide Mangler. So one U for a zero three beast. For one and a blue, you change power of target creature. Uh, I'm sorry, you change creature. You change the power of Riptide Mangler to target creature's power forever. Well, till the game ends. Um, so the idea is, let's say it comes out as a zero three. Let's say when it first comes out, there's a two two. Well, you spend uh, one and a blue, and now instead of being a zero three, it's a two three. But it's permanently a two three. Okay, let's say the following turn, there's a 3-2 in play. Well, now you can spend one U, now it's a 3-3. And so this thing keeps getting more and more powerful. The toughness never goes up, but it keeps getting more powerful. Um, uh, there's some memory issues because it's permanent, but it was, a, it was a pretty fun card, and it definitely... Um, it was neat in that it wanted you to care about power. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, if, if you ever mess around with Evolve, it, it, it sits in a very similar space as Evolve, and that it kind of wants you to keep ramping up and getting bigger creatures. Um, and as, it get, as they get bigger, it gets bigger. So, 
Um, I don't know if Ethan was ever even entered his mind. My sense is Ethan got to evolve in a very different way than from this. Um, but, uh, hold a second, I'm... Okay, um, next. Rockshard Elemental. Five red red for four three elemental with double strike and morph one red red. So this was a pretty scary creature. This was one of the reasons, uh, I mean, this, I think this guy's rare, but, um, how sometimes when there's a morph creature, uh, in Onslaught, like, crazy things can happen. Because this thing, um, so it's a 4-3 elemental. So if I attack with my morph and you go, eh, okay, I won't block. All of a sudden, I spend three mana and I'm like, take eight. <laughs> Bam. Or even if you block, it's still a, it's still a double striker. It's, you know, it's still gonna do four first strike damage. And then if that's not enough, four more. Um, but anyway, that's a pretty powerful card. Okay, next was a card I promised I would talk about when I got to. And I got to it. So it's time to talk. Cyan, Cyan of Darkness. So this is going to be my final card of the day. The Cyan of Darkness. So Cyan of Darkness is a 5 black, 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 6-6 six, six avatar. Now once again, all the 6-6 six, six creatures aren't demons. This seems like it would be a demon. Cyan of Darkness? Um, is this turning... No, we have Havoc demons. We had demons. I don't know. This, it seems like this would be a demon. So this was the card, by the way, that if you got the clerics and you got them all together, they summoned this. Um, it, it was a 6-6 six, six avatar with trample, and combat damage, when it hits you, you got to reanimate a creature from the creature, from the player who you damage. So if I hit my opponent, I then get to reanimate a creature card out of their graveyard every time I hit them. So this guy is pretty good. Oh, wait, but there's even more. He has Cycling 3. Now, if you remember, when you use the clerics, they went and got him wherever he was, including the graveyard. So the cool thing about him is early on when you got him, it was three mana to draw a card. Because sending him to the graveyard didn't matter. Because they could, you know, the clerics could go get him if, if your deck was doing that. Um, but anyway, and he is a uh, saucy, saucy... You know, you might want to sacrifice some clerics to go get him. Because he reanimates every turn that you hit. And he's got trample. So, I'll note, by the way, um, trample is uh, primary in green. It is secondary in red. It is tertiary in black, white, and blue which means that on large creatures, black, white, and blue are allowed to have trample. Um, white has trample a lot less than others, um, but it still does get trample. Uh, uh, black and blue ha- tend to have larger creatures, so they more often will have trample. Um, but it's something that you're allowed to do. If you're a big black, blue, or white creature, um, you are allowed to have trample. It's, it's allowable in our color pie. Um, so trample is one of those abilities that every color can have. Just um, kind of like flying shows up in all the colors, although green doesn't do it much. Every once in a while, green will do it. Okay, so I've gotten to S, but I have a bunch more to do. I look at the pages. So I have one more podcast I can tell of cards. So hopefully you guys enjoyed listening all about it. And uh, uh, see, it, it, was a little, it looked like it was going to rain today. I thought maybe we'd have extra time, but it turned out not to rain. So my traffic was, you got, you got a normal average length podcast. But I've now parked my car. So I know that means it means it's time to end my drive to work and it's time for me to be making magic. I'll talk to you guys next time.